Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What are you doing buying orange juice? You can't afford to buy orange juice. Drink water. So it was a very rude awakening. And I mean, I was 21. I moved there without a job and I was living on the Upper West Side. Like, who who did I think I was? And welcome to Financials Podcast, Future Rich. I am your host, Barbara Ginty, and I am also a CFP, which stands for a Certified Financial Planner. And I am here today with my guest, Lou. And for those of you who listened, we did a roundtable about splitting your finances with your partner. And Lou was one of the participants. So welcome back, Lou. Thank you, Barbara. And I think we discovered in the roundtable that you had actually never been on the podcast, which I guess I didn't realize. I know. It's very, because we chat a lot and I certainly have hit you up for money advice. So it's funny that it's like, oh yeah, I've never done this. <laughs> yeah, because I feel like you were one of the people I helped out in the very beginning before I decided to make the switch into personal finance. And I You think sure was- did. When I, when I moved to New York at 21, um, I moved without a job. Um, but I did have a gap of a gap visa credit card. So not like an actual credit card, but it was a gap visa credit card. And that really, um, really it affected me for, I would say, almost a decade. <laughs> yeah. So, OK, so Lou, why don't you tell our listeners, because I feel like we have a unique relationship and you have a unique story. Um, why don't you tell them like how old you are now and maybe give them the backstory on like that night that we, I came to your apartment and I think we had pizza and wine and we went over this part <laughs> that was haunting you. And oh my gosh. you helped me decide to go into personal finance full time. Good. Um, well, I think you found your calling. Um, so I, um, I lived in New York um, at that time. Um, I'm from Western New York. People will say upstate. It's not upstate. Upstate is like the Hudson Valley or White Plains. I'm Western New York. I'm, I always say like I'm closer to Canada than I am New York city. Um, and I work in higher education now. Um, at that point in time, I worked for a marketing firm and then I worked for an education nonprofit. Um, but then I came back to Western New York for my master's degree 
And now I am an administrator in higher education. And um, I feel like we hit all your goals. So when we did our first little sit down, how long ago do you think that was? It was, I remember it was warm out because we did it outside. Um, oh, you mean like the original when I was like in intense debt in my 20s? Yes. When we did a sit down and I was like, and you were like, well, I think I want to get a master's. And I'm like, well, first we got to get, get rid of this. So, yeah. so I want to say like right now you, I know you bought a house, you're living with your partner, you got your higher education degree and you've like hit everything we talked about. But I feel like just so that it was a long time coming. Yes. Um, we, we talked about it a long time ago. So I, yeah, when I moved to New York, like I remember crying on the sidewalk with my mother on the phone. Cause like I'm, I was raised upper upper middle class, um, and I was made to have a job once it was legal for me to have a job. But I remember my mother told me, she's like, you don't know what it's like to be poor. You are now a lot poorer than you've ever been. Like, what are you doing buying orange juice? You can't afford to buy orange juice. Drink water. So it was a very rude awakening. (laughs) And I mean, I was 21. I moved there without a job and I was living on the Upper West Side. (laughs) Like, who who did I think I was? Um, I I will say, though, that living on the Upper West Side, I would like to add that you were in a walk up and your bedroom was so small that you couldn't open the door. You sure couldn't. (laughs) Bed to the entire room, therefore the door wouldn't open if you wanted the bed in the bedroom. Yeah. And I also, my window was so small that I couldn't fit an air conditioning unit. So summer in New York without an air conditioning unit, um, it was a real journey. And so then we did the sit down and you had basically used this gap card for so many things. Oh my gosh. Cause that was for like my, my mother had given me a copy of her credit card. Um, when I studied abroad as like, you know, for emergencies. So I never had like an actual credit card of my own. And I was terrified of using hers because she would, I mean, she like goes through it with a fine tooth comb every month. So I was just swiping that gap visa like a wild woman. And I would, in theory, I was like, okay, like I won't take cabs and I'll go to happy hours that serve free food. Um, but when you barely make any money, and you're just running rampant in New York, it adds up quickly. It does add up quickly. So we basically did a sit down and we discussed this gap card that you were just kind of ignoring or hoping would like. (laughs) (laughs) And we sat down and talked about what your goals were, like where you want it to be in the future. Um, Owning a house is one of them. Getting higher education was one of them. Um, And so why don't you give, so we did this sit down and the gap card was like the demise, right? We had like how to get ahead on it. There was super, super high interest. Oh God. I think the interest was well over 20%. Yeah, it was. And like your payments weren't making a dent in the interest. And so it was like not going anywhere, um, which was depressing because you were working so hard to get it to go away and you couldn't get it to go away. You also still needed to eat. Um, (laughs) food. So why don't you tell everyone where you are now? Yes. Um, so it was a long journey. I definitely, I did two things. I, um, transferred some of my debt, um, to 
a credit card where I would have 0% interest um, as long as I paid it off in a certain amount of time. So I transferred a portion of the balance. Um, and my brother also gave me a loan. And I remember I felt so awkward that he was providing me a loan. But he, um, as you know, a smart guy who's looking out for himself as well, he was basically like, well, I'm going to charge you I'm going to charge you interest. And that's a much better return than I would get anywhere else. Um, yes. So but, it was a good deal for him because he had, we, we assumed, or we thought maybe he had money in the bank and the bank wasn't paying that much. You offered to pay him a better rate, but was significantly lower than like whatever the 29%. Oh yeah. It wasn't like 23%. <laughs> um, but it was a real long time coming. Um, a lot of ebbs and flows when I moved back to get my, my graduate degree, I moved back in with my parents in my early 20s. So I don't know if I said I'm 34 now um, or my, my late 20s when I moved back. And so that was a very different living experience. I lived there for two years, um, but I saved a ton of money. I mean, I didn't have to pay them rent. I didn't have to buy groceries. Um, they actually had like a nice kitchen. So it was definitely worth it for me. Um, and right now... But that was a sacrifice. Um, I feel like some people, you always have to get something, you usually give something up. And so you wanted to do the master's. And when we talked about it, moving in with your parents was the most fiscally responsible thing to do because they offered you free rent. Exactly. Um, versus like going to school and having your own apartment, which is the more attractive thing to do when you're in your late 20s, right? You haven't lived with your parents in a long time. Who wants to go live with their parents again? Um and really funny, I think you actually sent me a text and you're like, I'm eating shrimp and it's amazing. <laughs> oh, I know. Because it was like, like my mother has like a glass of wine and crackers and cheese every night while she's cooking dinner. And I was like, that to me is so luxurious. Like to have, like I would never buy milk because it's like, it's too risky to buy something that could go bad so quickly. Like I just feel like, well, if it's not popcorn or like canned soup, like it just, all those things seem so luxurious. So it was definitely worth it because, like, there's always decent food. Um, and I, like, when I went to grad school, as much as it was a sacrifice to move back home, it was also, like, a two-year bubble where I could just kind of restart a lot of things. And because I put myself in such an aggressive amount of credit card debt um, at some point, which was definitely a bit over $10,000, I like really hustled in grad school. I cobbled together a bunch of assistantships that paid me in credit. So I would do okay on loans since I decided to go to a private liberal arts college when I was 18 for undergrad. And I didn't really understand that my parents weren't footing 100% of that bill. Um, so I had a decent amount of loans from undergrad and I didn't want that to increase too much with grad school, especially because I knew... I was choosing a field where I wasn't going to make a ton of money. Right. Which I think was also smart. So what basically we were super diligent about when you got out, getting out of New York was key because the cost of living was so expensive versus what you were making. So couldn't get out of, it was hard to get out of debt there. And then you moved in with your parents. You were able to save money. You really hustled for two years to get your master's and were strategic about whether or not you took on undergrad. And now where are you? So I'm still in Western New York. Um, and I did kind of think about going back to the city when I graduated. And I remember looking at apartments and in two years, I was so aggressively priced out. And in higher education, working 
in a place like New York, where the cost of living is so much higher, you still don't make that much more money. Um, and I really like, you know, where I'm, where I am now. So I'm in Western New York. Um, we're chatting on February 1st and in October I closed on a house. So that was, I remember talking to you a few years ago and that was like one of my new year's goals. Um, and I think I said by 35, so I made it in, in just under a year. Um, and it was something that just, I was, I had no idea how I would be able to make it happen. Um, but I, we have, um, an organization, in my area called the Housing Council, which is under um, Housing and Urban Development. And I called them and I was like, hi, I don't know how to buy a house. And my parents haven't bought a house in the past 40 years. So can you tell me how to do it? And they provided me, like they held my hand. It was all free. Um, and I'm pretty sure there's these things nationwide. I was approved for a grant because I don't make a ton of money working in education. So it was really great having someone like like walk through every line of my credit score um, and go over like, you know, how to prepare to make an offer and what I would actually, you know, what you're approved for versus what you should actually offer. Yes. And I feel like what you're approved for versus what you should spend sometimes is different depending on oh, yeah. what Did you know that Future Rich offers three online classes in partnership with SUNY Ulster? Well, you're in luck, we do. We have our Future Rich Signature course, our Student Loans course, and our brand new Social Security course. All of these classes can be found on our website at www.futurerichpodcast.com. And now, so now you're a homeowner, so congratulations. That was a goal we talked about so many years ago. I know it's wild how that happened, but here in the area I'm in, um, rent is usually a little higher than a mortgage. So if you can cobble together a down payment, it's definitely more economical. And the other sacrifice I made, um, one of my dear friends moved into a house and offered to rent me a room, um, which was about half of the rent I was paying at that time. So it helped her a little bit edge out, you know, chip away at her mortgage her first few years as a homeowner. Um, it was tough because I hadn't had a roommate in several years um, and I had never lived with her, but it was definitely worth it. It went pretty well. Um, and that gave me, you know, two additional years to really focus on saving for a down payment. I feel like the theme here is like sometimes you're taking a step back from what you want to take a step forward in your finances. Yes. And so, I think you say it a lot, like the time is going to, is going to pass anyway. Yeah. So we're, we're definitely every year we're going to get older and every year. So to me, it's going to happen anyway. The time is going to go, it's going to go by. So you might as well make those, what I like to say, short-term sacrifices for a longer term gain, because you got there at 35. That's what we had targeted probably when you were in your early twenties that in your, you know, and it feels so far away at the time, but like, we'll get you to be able to be a homeowner. But I think you're so much better off doing those shorter term sacrifices and being fiscally ready for the, you know, for that next move than jumping into it early because you want it now. And then maybe risking your financial future because you had to have it today versus taking a step back and waiting for it to be the right time financially. Exactly. So you're 34 now. Yes. You're in Western New York, and I really appreciate you differentiating <laughs> the Hudson Valley for those non-New Yorkers. Um, 
my boyfriend is not from New York and he's always confused about like the difference. So I will make sure he listens to this podcast <laughs> just for the explanation of the difference in New York. Um, you are living with your partner currently, I believe. Yes. Okay. And then where, what is your, you're in higher education and what are you making about now? Um, sorry. So I'm just shy of 52. So I'm making 51,849. Very nice. Precisely. Yay. And then, so, and then how are we doing with like all the other goals, like saving, like, and so what are like, I guess I feel like this was like such a big goal was to get the house. So like, what are the next round of goals? I think the next round of goals is figuring out my savings. So um, I, you know, in my early 20s, you really helped me out. Um, and I tackled my credit card debt, but it certainly came back. Um, you know, I didn't learn that lesson that one time. Oh, no. <laughs> um, but I am very happy to say I am credit card debt free. Um, which and that was something that was hard as I was saving for my house and continuing to be aggressive about my credit card debt. Um, in, I was throwing hundreds of dollars at it every month. And so in my head, I was like, oh, once this is gone, I'm going to have all this extra money. And somehow it doesn't feel like I have all this extra money. Um, so I, I just wanted to see like how I can be strategic about my savings. And the other thing I'm experiencing right now is, um, there will be, they're continuing for the pandemic relief, a pause on federal student loans. Correct. Through October. And I am crossing my fingers and submitting my paperwork annually for the public service loan forgiveness. So basically for 10 years of making on-time payments, um, and my payments are $283 right now, um, after 10 years, the rest will be forgiven. And as of now, this program, you wouldn't have to pay taxes on the rest that were forgiven. I say right. as of now, because who knows what's going to happen. Um, but I still, even though I don't need to make payments through September, it doesn't really behoove me um, to lower that for the interest, I don't think, because in theory, that's going to be forgiven eventually. Um, but I, those months that I'm not paying still count towards the 10 years of payment. And how many years are you in? And you're recertifying with your employer every year, correct? Yes. Yeah, so I've been working for a public college um, every year. Um, and even though I've switched employers, I never had a lapse in, in full-time employment. And it's always been um, an educational institution. So that falls under the requirements. Um, so I have to submit that with human resources every year. And then the um, Department of Education sends me this letter giving me where I am as far as paying off my loans. So I have about five years left-ish. That's fantastic. And everything is through FedLoan, right? Yes. So that was the other thing. I had to consolidate my loans at the beginning to qualify, um, which, you know, certainly was worth it. Um, so that kind of, it's a nice, it's a nice perk. I hope it actually happens. I know a lot of people have had trouble with it, but per my rudimentary math, I think it's, I think it, if it works out for me, I think it could save me like $30,000. 
Yeah, no, I think it's a great program. The issue is there's just so few people that actually get it approved, but you have mm-hmm. a letter stating where you are in the program. So you get a letter from the government at the end of the year saying you're done with your fifth year. This is where you are. Yes. Yep. So you, once I submit my employment certification annually, they respond back to me and I have a handful of loans. I think I have about seven individual ones. Um, And so they go through every single one of how many more payments I have to make. Got it. Okay, perfect. Because I actually just did another podcast with another um, guest and she wants to get in on it. And I was saying that you have to be in in one of the income-based repayment. You can choose which one you're in, I think. Yes. Um, And, you know, then that can kind of, if you end up getting married, you have to look at that too, I believe. Oh, that is a good thing for me to think about. Yes, you, I would, um, so I feel like an accountant might not know quite as much about this program, but basically your income-based repayment program is based on your tax filing. So if you get married, that would be a change, right? So that's interesting. I'm looking at, so I'm in my like portal or whatever together home office and I have my 2021 vision board in front of me, which includes, um, uh, an engagement ring, which I am not shy about declaring to our partner. Um, and, I mean, it's not a private space. He definitely sees it every day. But that's something to be like, well, maybe we could just have a really long engagement because I do not want to have to pay back my student loans. <laughs> yeah, so you just have to look into whether or not it would make more sense to do married filing uh, filing separate versus joint. Um, you no. just want to make sure that you stay on the track for the public loan service forgiveness. And I would just recommend consulting a, a CPA about it, just saying I'm in this program. This It's based on my income you know, if it's going to make your payments higher, if you do married filing joint, then I probably wouldn't do that. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, just something to keep in the back of your mind and plan for. Yeah. You want to consult an accountant before you, cause if you get married, that changes your tax status. Yes. That is definitely something to seriously okay. look at. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. I don't think like, <laughs> I don't know if that's worth $30,000. I think I could <laughs> practice my patience and wait a few more years. <laughs> I don't know if you need to wait to get married, but you just need to talk to an accountant and say, like, I want to get married, but I'm in the program. Like, do, should we file jointly or should we be filing separately because I'm in an income-based repayment? Yeah, that's a, really, that's a really good point. And if the accountant doesn't know, I would work with a different accountant or consult. Yeah. I, like, really tout Leslie attain a lot she's like a student loan debt attorney like expert um so i feel like she would probably know as well yeah a lot of this work um i would say you're probably better off married filing joint but i'm not an accountant so i can't tell you for sure totally but i love the i love the student loan forgiveness it sounds like you really have it more squared away than most people because i've worked with people who didn't know they needed to recertify didn't know they needed to have their loans through fed you have to consolidate through fed loan so it sounds like you're way ahead yeah, of I don't know like what happened to me, especially because I was so like willy nilly in my early twenties with money, but like, and my parents, like I grew up pretty comfortable and I always had to have a job, but I'm obsessed with my budget and obsessed with things like that. Like I would say I look at my budget multiple times a week. <laughs> That's good though, because these are all really, really good habits. And as you said, like now your goals are going to change a little bit. So I think that for the student loans, I think five years out is not that far. No, it's not. It's going to go quick. So I think that's a good way to do it. So you just want to be cognizant of like how you're going to do filings. If the vision, I feel like the vision board, I love that you have the ring on the vision board so your partner can see it. Um, (laughs) 
And then I guess from there, so being more strategic with savings, I think now that you've tackled some of these other goals, like the student loans are kind of just on autopilot. Um, you, you save the money for a down payment, you bought a house. So I think the key with your savings is I think what will work well for you is if it, everything's automated. Yes, I haven't done that. Okay. I think, I think that would be the way to go. So you can, I think you need to work. I always like to say, I call it working backwards. It's really working forwards, but like with your budget now that your credit card debt free and you were putting, you know, you don't feel like you have that extra money in your budget. I think you just need to automate those dollars being automatically saved into a separate account. Yeah. And it's interesting. I put away, um, I have a decent amount taken out for my FSA, Um, which is really nice because I like bougie products and you can buy a lot of products with your FSA. Um, and I go to a therapist and I use that with my FSA. For the listeners, the FSA is your, um, your saving, your health savings account. There's two, there's an HSA and there's an FSA. The FSA, you have to use it by the end of the year, right? You do. They did, um, give you a little grace period right now because of the pandemic, but that's, you know, that's money that in theory would be in my paycheck, but I don't see it. So it's just gone. Um, so that's something it would behoove me to set up my savings like that as well. Yeah. And then that way it just automatically comes out another app that I like, and I'm not sponsored by them. It's just one that I have used that I like is digit. It kind of like steals money from you. I was just thinking about that. So I've used an app called capital. Um, and really they would have no reason to sponsor me, but they can, (laughs) or definitely future rich. Um, but yeah, I was thinking about digit because I'm now, I mean, I'm definitely still pretty much living paycheck to paycheck. My savings isn't that robust, especially after buying the house. Mm -hmm. Um, But when I was really aggressive with my credit card payments, I was really, really living paycheck to paycheck. But I think now my checking is in a healthier place where um, I'm not like terrified every time (laughs) waiting for my um, paycheck to clear. So I think that would be, that certainly would help me out. Cause I, I am slowly building up my emergency, my emergency fund. Um, I did of course have a plumbing issue within weeks of buying my house. So that dipped Uh, into it. So I think I had, I had a little bit of a fund. And plumbing Um, is expensive for our listeners who want to buy a house. Like plumbing is expensive. And uh, Potter, one of our producers for the podcast had a um, snake problem. Oh, uh, like the animals? Uh, yeah, like in the foundation and in the walls. Oh, oh my God. I would burn the house down. <laughs> and Can you imagine snakes in your walls? So basically they were sitting on the patio and I guess her husband uh, doesn't like snakes either. I don't know anyone who like would be very excited about this. Um, they saw a snake go into like, they were like sitting outside and they saw a snake go in the ha- like into the oh. like house. And I guess he got really freaked out, which I would be so freaked out. I would probably not sleep in the house. And um, they had to call um, someone to do that. And that's very expensive. That makes me sick to my stomach. (laughs) I mean, I've had, um, not in this house, but in other places I've lived, I've um, had bats. Um, And I, I mean, as awful as that is, like, I'll take a bat any day of the week over a snake. Yeah, because I didn't know snakes can move up the walls. Like they can go from the first floor to the second floor. Oh my God, that's so awful. Yes. So anyway, for people who are, you know, I'm always, I do encourage home buying. I think it's a great step in your financial future if you're ready for it, but you have to be ready for there to be problems because I haven't met a new home buyer who hasn't moved in, who hasn't had an issue. Oh, I know. Like immediately. <laughs> like if, 
welcome to home ownership. You have a problem. You have snakes in your walls or, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> welcome to home ownership. You have snakes in your walls. <laughs> Um, so how is your, okay, so let's talk about, we'll do this. Um, how is your emergency fund doing now? And like, how is your work retirement and that sort of doing? So my emergency fund, I have $1,400 in there. Okay. Um, and then, and right now the way I set up my budget. Um, so I have set up my budget monthly. Um, okay. And I have budgeted to put in an additional $100 a month into my emergency fund. Good. Okay, great. Um. And then additional savings, I have $1,000 otherwise. And so that, like, I know I want my emergency fund higher, but I also feel like I should just have more savings in general. And I don't know if that's just to have it, but <laughs> I, like, I, I save for, like, home updates and travel. Um, and also I have a category called future um, which really is because I am uncomfortable actually putting in wedding slash baby. So I just put future. <laughs> We're going to keep it general. It's ge it's general. It's general. It could be anything. <laughs> um, okay. So what do you think like with your budget, like what do you think you need monthly? Cause I know everyone really wants to get the savings up, but I really think that the emergency fund is so critical. Just God forbid there's another plumbing issue. Oh my God. Um, so I, I bring home $2,990 a month. Um, that's my, is that my net? That's the actual money I see. Yes, that is your net. Nailed okay, it. not my gross. It's my net. Um, so if I like really, really cut back, I mean, I'd definitely be fine closer to $2,000 a month. Um, okay. So yeah, right now I don't even have a month for emergency purposes. Yeah. So we need to, so I think the next target should be getting yourself into a better emergency fund number. Mm -hmm. And if you, so like with one of whatever this, like the little money apps is, whatever one you want to use where it like kind of steals from you, you could set it 12 months out. You know, mm -hmm. you can set your, you can set goals on it, like targets, and mm -hmm. then it'll help you get there. And you can always adjust it if it feels like it's taking too much money out. Yeah. Um, but you could set yourself for like your emergency fund target. Cause I definitely think we should shoot to get you to at least three months. Okay. Um, and you could start with your target being, I want to get up to a month and a half. Right. And then just mm -hmm. keep increasing. Cause I think the thing, cause I just want to ask you one more question. What do you have in your work retirement? So I have two things that kind of make sense to me. Kind of don't. So I have, um, and what's called an like an optional retirement plan. I think that's, I want to say 403B. Yes. Um, okay. So in that I have um, around $40,000. Perfect. Okay, great. Um, but, and then, okay. So I have um, about 40 even in my 403B. Okay. And, and that's, it's on my, so on my retirement account, I have it through TIA CREF. Um, mm -hmm. it lists my past employee different, but I assume that's okay because it's all in one account. Uh, yeah. So, um, so no, it, it's listing, you have two different schools names there, right? Correct. Yeah, that's fine. It still means it's under, if the school name is on it, it's still under their program, but because with higher education, they all use TII craft, you're able to see everything like versus right. if you were a private company, you know, if you work for a private institution, like I didn't went from Bloomberg to, to 
Credit Suisse, like I had to have two separate portals, but because the higher ed is all using that, at least in New York State, they all use the TIAA crap. You're mm-hmm. seeing it, but it's still with your former your former employer. Okay, but but that's not a problem, right? No. Okay. Um, we just want to make sure everything's invested and you have beneficiaries on everything. Right. So, what, so, I, so have, I have that, and then I also signed up for through my employer. There's um, I work under SUNY, so I work for one of the SUNY schools. Um, and within oh, a, little, a little shout out, all of our classes are through SUNY Ulster, which is yes, SUNY State yeah. University of New York. Yes, that is. <laughs> um, so they also offer a tax deferred annuity plan, which apparently is different than the other one I have. Um, yes. So after a couple of years, I was like, I I think I was in one of the promotions I was getting, and I was getting like, I don't know, $50 more a month. Um, but I was like, I should be a responsible adult. So I signed up for this and I have an additional $6,100 in there. Um, so that one, so that tax annuity, I, I, um, tax deferred annuity, I contribute 4%. Okay. The 403B, I contribute 3.5% and my employer contributes 8%. Wow. Yeah. And that goes up to 10 after seven years. So I'm oh, about like a year and a half away from that. That's amazing. Okay. So then your savings rate for retirement is really good then because then we do, you do 3.5 in the one, you do 4% in the other, and then you're getting an 8% match. So you're at 15 and a half percent for retirement. Mm-hmm. And I know I should be getting, so none of our raises are merit-based, um, they're all based on our contract. So um, I'm under a union. So I think that would be a good goal is to keep like with every raise, knock that up a little bit. So I should be getting a raise, I think, um, in the early fall, um, which is not substantial, but it'll be a little bit as long as hopefully things say okay, because colleges are really struggling right now. Um, but that I could, you know, I don't know if it, if I should increase the tax deferred annuity or the 403B or if that really makes a difference. So I would just have to look at your investments in it just okay. to see maybe what's performing better and what, because sometimes, so the way it works is the 403B and the TSA is kind of um, the tax aspect of it, right? So a 403B is for um, non-for-profit versus like a 401k is for profit. So it just depends on like what the investments are inside of them. So why don't we could take a look at that to see what's better. But what I would do with the raises, and I think that's a great idea is maybe split it with yourself. So if they give you a 1% rate, we'll just say they give you a 2% raise, put 1% in and then 1% goes through your pay. Mm -hmm. And then you're incrementally increasing it, but your savings ratio here is really, is you're doing a great job with 15 and a half percent save for retirement. Cause you're also going to get a pension, right? No. Um, So that was a choice. Um, I could go through the New York State retirement or I could go through the 403B. Um, And because at that point in time, it was my first, I was moving from a private college to um, the SUNY system. And I was like, I don't, I'm young. I don't know how long I'm going to be with SUNY. So I, you weren't, you don't get vested until I believe 10 years. And that just really intimidated me. So I am not, I'm not a part of that program. And then of course I reached out to human resources like a year ago. I was like, can I switch? And they were like, no, you have to make the decision when you are hired. Oh no. Okay. Well that's fine. So then that we do need to keep your, cause I was going to say, if you had a pension, we don't need to 
contribute as much to retirement because you're going to, you would get a pension and then your own retirement. So yeah, let's keep splitting your raises with yourself. And then now remember when we talked about savings, like you already are saving, right? So like you have about 40, a little over 46,000 saved up for your retirement, which relative to your income is great because you're, you, you know, took time off for school. So they like to say, like as a rule of thumb, you should try and have like by the time you're 30 about what you have um, in earnings in a year in retirement. But we also have to remember we checked off other goals. Like you got your higher education degree, you paid off your credit card debt and you bought a home. Yes, that makes me feel better. Yes. So uh, what I would do is I would keep splitting your raises and then I would really focus on just getting the emergency fund up. And then once we do that, then we could focus on other savings. The other question I have, I was poking around in this um, and the tax deferred annuity plan, I can split that. So it goes, so the 4% that I'm contributing, I can have some or all go to a Roth or some or all go to the tax deferred annuity plan. I don't know the difference or what if one is better than the other, I do have a random $424 in a Roth. Um, (laughs) So I don't know if that's something I should consider as well. So the Roth, so the the big difference, so a pre-tax one is going to give you a tax break, meaning that you don't have to pay taxes on it because you're contributing it to a retirement plan. And then when you go to take it out, you're going to pay taxes at that point. Um, The Roth is going to go in after tax, meaning you're going to, put everything through payroll, kind of like what you were saying with your paycheck with the FSA, you don't really miss it that much because you're not paying tax on that money, right? Right. You're getting it all pre-tax so you get more bang for your buck with it. The Roth is going to go in after tax. You're going to pay tax on it. You're going to put it in after tax. And then when you go to take it out, there are no taxes on it. So the Roth, when I take it out, there are no taxes. Yes. For my 403B and then the tax deferred annuity, when I take that out, I will have to pay taxes on it? You will have to pay tax on it. For assume both of those. For both of those. We're just going to assume it was all pre-tax dollars. So when you go to take it out, this is like real far in the future, but <laughs> you have to start spending with current tax laws. You have to start spending those um, tax-deferred investments, your retirement investments. At age 72, they mandate a required distribution. So I'm almost wondering if I should do some, if not all, of my tax-deferred annuity plan to a Roth. I think you could if you could swing it because... Yeah, because I I mean, I I think I can kind of go back and forth, so I could always try it, especially right now. The way I do my budget, I'm still saying that I'm paying my student loans every month, so I could see how that feels because then I'd... I'd actually have both and could beef up the, you know, $400 I have in a Roth. Yeah. So I would try it and see how it feels, especially now that you have the reprieve with the student loans. Cause as you said, you can always switch it. And then that way, cause like the way I like to do it, I'm not an, I'm usually an all nothing person, but when it comes to the types of dollars you have in retirement, I don't think, I think it's nice to have all of them. So you would have pre-tax, yeah. You would have, and then you'd have your Roth and then we'll get you to the point where then you have your private investments as well. No, I think that would be a really good idea. The other thing I didn't say, so I have a side gig. Um, I I have to just say, I love a good side hustle. So what I um, had the best job in the world in high school and in college, I worked for a library, Um, you know, putting books in order and putting them away. And in high school, it was like annoying and tedious and boring, but um, because I moved back close to the area I grew up in, 
Um, and basically nothing has changed. Um, <laughs> the women that I knew that worked there in passing, they were like, oh, if you ever want a, a shift or two, like you could come back. And I was like, yeah. And it's the most stress-free job ever. Um, and so I work about 10 hours a week and it's so lovely. It's so calm. Um, so I bring in about an additional hundred dollars a week with that, with my library gig. Um, and that's money that I don't put into my budget. It's just kind of a cushion every time it finds its way into its checking account. So I think with that, I could definitely sign up for something like digit and, um, see what it's like putting the money into a Roth because I do have a little bit of a cushion with my library paycheck and with the pause on the student loans. Yeah. I think this is a great time to do it. Oh, look at that. Yeah. See, we found some money. I love that. You <laughs> awesome. I love money. <laughs> I also love that you have a side hustle. I am like such a big believer in like making these shorter term sacrifices for the longer term gain. And I've, had, I've had a lot of periods of my life where I cobbled together a bunch of different jobs or a side hustle. And I think I found a sweet spot and I always kind of feel like I should be doing something else. Um, I may have told you this, but I've, (laughs) I've done a lot of clinical trials for money, um, which I work, I've worked with a very, um, respected and wonderful organization in my area. Um, but you know, it's, it would, they'd give me, you know, a certain, a certain amount of money for each one. Um, but I think, you know, when I get that itch to do something else to be like, oh, I could probably swing a, you know, a couple other nights at this job or going to this job. Um, it ends up stressing me out quickly because I do have a full-time job and I do a lot of other things, but the library, it's just, you know, a hundred dollars a week doesn't sound like a ton, but it's just so nice to have like a little bit of a cushion. Yeah, no, I think it's worth it because $100 a week is $400 a month. Yeah. And that, you know, if you're bringing in, you said you were bringing in about $2,900 a month. So that's mm-hmm. actually a pretty good percentage of what your net is, right? That you're bringing in on top of it. Yeah, so it's great. Another 14%, which which is nice. That's like, it gives you more breathing room and you don't find it stressful. So I think that's great because, you know, at some point in the future, you know, for that future account of that stuff, you know, you know. <laughs> you might not you're not going to have an extra you know the extra time to then probably get a library job right exactly. this is the time to do it well Lou I really appreciate you coming on this was so fun to kind of talk about where you started where you are now and like what we're going to do in the future um so thank you for sharing yeah it's been a it's been a long road um you know dragging myself out of thousands and thousands of dollars of credit card debt and and I think it's it feels good I knew I was choosing an industry that where I would never make a ton of money, but mm-hmm. I definitely feel like I can, I mean, you and I have traveled internationally together. I definitely feel like I can still do a lot of fun things um, and feel okay financially, better than okay. And I'll- We've, We have traveled internationally together and it's all about just like being strategic with your money. I feel like we made everything really affordable. We sure did. Well, this was super fun. We'll definitely have you back on. I, I know we'll be doing more roundtables. Um, so for all of our lovely listeners, you can check us out on the Future Rich Podcast at Instagram for our most up-to-date information. And as we talked about today, our classes are in partnership with SUNY Ulster and can be found at www.planancial.com. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.